0: Hi, I'm Jenna, and I'm Sam,
1: and you're listening to
0: Cincinnati Zoo Tales. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Cincinnati Zoo Tales. We've got Jenna with here today, as always. Hey, guys. (laughs) And today, well, it's going to be a, uh, I was thinking about what I should say to introduce our next guest. Is a soaring good episode? I don't know. It's (laughs) uh, birds of a feather flock together. My puns are—they're terrible today, and I apologize. And I'll stop them for the rest of this episode. I can't make that promise. Anyway, today with us we have Eddie Anal, and he is the manager of the Emeritus Wings of Wonder bird encounter here at the Cincinnati Zoo. So thanks for thanks for being with us here today, Eddie. Oh, well, thanks a lot for having me. This is really
2: fun.
1: Yeah, we're excited to ask you a bunch of questions, find out a little bit about you. So I guess we can start there.
0: Yeah. Tell us about yourself. All right, well, (laughs) this is like a broad interview question. We brought Eddie in also for an interview. how did you get (laughs) into? Well, I'm a Capricorn, and uh,
2: so yeah, I I've always had a love for animals. Even you know, like most people in this field, when you look back to like your childhood and your earliest memories, like when we would um, go to zoos, like whenever we were traveling, my family would always to a zoo um when we were in florida we'd go to sea world and go to tampa to bush gardens and we'd always see a bird show or the you know the um orca show or anything like that so my interest in animals was from a young age even you know on on sunday night i always remember before i had to do my homework i would watch nature on pbs so Creature. And, yeah, <laughs> instead of watching, it was always, uh, I could either choose The Wonder Years or <laughs> uh, Nature. So, somehow, I, maybe if I look at the TV guide, I'm like, well, I don't, I would watch The Wonder Years this time.
1: <laughs>
2: but anyway, um, so I went to call, I grew up in New Hampshire, um, and I had, like, we did a lot of hiking. My parents had a camp up in the Adirondack Mountains in New York. Cool. So, you know, being out in nature and hiking and things, I always enjoyed that, but I had no aspirations of specifically being a bird trainer. I wanted to go to school to help out animals, but more at a kind of macro level of managing land for animals or managing like populations. Uh, But as luck would have it, I went to college at uh, Bowling Green State up north in Northwest Ohio. Um, After college, I moved to Columbus with some friends. A long story short, I thought I was going to go to grad school, but that didn't work out. So then I was uh, unemployed uh, with a college degree living in Columbus. And eventually got my way as a seasonal at the Columbus Zoo, which as most people in the...
1: I had no idea you started there. Yeah.
2: So um, it was a series of very lucky... I'm very lucky to be where I am. And it all started, actually started working at a restaurant. I walked in after an interview with uh, another... a a company that was trying to get my uh, environmental shoes because I had an environmental science major and I thought I was going to do something in that and I did not I didn't it wasn't a good fit for what I wanted to do so some friends were gonna gonna start working in a restaurant and I had no restaurant experience but I walked in and the guy was like I need one more guy uh to work and it was like you know an open house he's like I'll you got the position having no restaurant experience (laughs) i'm like that was pretty lucky so fast forward another year and a half i kept applying at living in columbus with the the state being an environmentalist environmental science uh two position which always required experience i never figured out how you get that experience it's just like in the zoo Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah and i kept applying to the zoo and once again they always required experience i had no idea how to get it Until one day, uh, a girl walked in who was working and she said, hey, you like animals, you should go to the zoo open house. And the way the Columbus did it back then is they just had, like anybody that needed seasonals, they had an open house. You walked in, you filled out a card of like what you're interested in, what you might, you know, have background in, and then they pick. Um, But this was like the last day of it. Uh, So I scrambled up there and the things they had left were in the shows and the children's zoo. So I interviewed with both, and uh, the guy that interviewed me for the shows, his name was Kevin Hills, and he used to work at Columbus, or excuse me, he used to work in Cincinnati. Okay. Um, so that'll be important later. So once again, he said, I've I've hired a lot of women. The there seasonal staff was about 13. And he only had one guy. He's like, I could just use one more guy around. (laughs) And so he's like, you got it. Nice. So, again, I lucked out there. I worked as a seasonal there for that summer doing their, they had a a bird show and then like a small encounter show back back then. That was 2002. Um, So then the the season ended, and Kevin was very good at hooking his seasonals up with um, jobs after the season ended. So I worked for a traveling animal show, uh, a, a guy named Mike Cole Reiser, who's out of Wapakoneta, Ohio, where Neil Armstrong's from. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, it was kind of like, uh, he has, he was a great trainer, a great performer. The guy was a, a he was a machine. He drove the semi truck that had all the animals, all the props, and we were like animal roadies. So we wow. would <laughs> drive around in this van, show up in this small town, s- pull out all the props, help during the show. Uh, so that was a pretty neat experience. We traveled around mostly the upper Midwest and the East coast. Uh, but while I was, we were out on the road, I got a call from Kevin, uh, and he's like, there's, there's an opening in Cincinnati. I think you should apply. And back then, and you know, my, who I eventually worked for Gary Densler, he, when he had an opening, he called up his old buddies and said, you got anybody. So Kevin had me apply and, uh, and having only one year of experience, really, I thought, and I had seen the Cincinnati Bird Show, and I was like, "There's no way." That's I'd been done just like, just tiny little encounters with Steve the Salamander. I wasn't <laughs> ready to, and I, you know, I'd held a bald eagle once, so uh, and that, but in Gary's eyes, like you, you came with from Kevin with high marks. So I interviewed, but being uh, inexperienced still in the field, I came in in a suit and tie and. Um, the other tr- full-time trainer at that time, Kevin Kellner, who was also a BG alum who, act- who vowed for me and got me the job. Because afterwards, Gary was pretty lukewarm. He's like, who's this stiff showing up? for a zoo job in a suit and tie
1: it is I mean side note it's so hard to know what you should show up for in oh, yeah. a zoo oh, yeah. or show up in <laughs> mm-hmm. for a zoo interview like mm-hmm. do I show them that I know how to wear khakis really well or do I dress nice like I'm really professional and it's, a lot
0: it's, sometimes it's working interviews right. so that like, at least okay. helps you know okay. by scrubbing the floor and you know
2: khakis yep. well yeah you <laughs> actually do that <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> sorry no no you're good so
1: but I'm sure yeah, he was surprised to see you uh-huh, the zoo. so he's like who's this
2: <laughs> dork showing up in a suit coat and tie, but Kevin Kellner was like, he's a BG guy. He's he's probably a good guy. We went through the same different years, but the same program. Uh, so that was it. And then they hired me, and I've been here ever since. that was in 2003.
1: Man, that's an interesting way to get into it. Yeah, like,
2: yeah. I just got yeah, really, just fell into my lap.
1: How long did it take you to get full time, or was this it,
2: that was a full time gig? Okay. Yeah. So, and that's when I interviewed. I'm like, there's no way because Gary even said like, we've got internal candidates were looking at and I thought well this was a good exercise in interviewing and I drove back to Columbus and
1: Do you think it was the people and the word of mouth that got you the job? Absolutely. Or... Okay.
2: I mean, I, I owe it all to Kevin Hills and Kevin Kellner for, you know, not knowing me from Adam, but saying, well, he's a BG guy and <laughs> Maybe those, you know, those that that connection those, those, those Kevins right? Yeah, the Kevins <laughs> the Kevins got me where I am <laughs> For sure.
1: So I'm interested When did the Bob character come about in the show? And did you come up with that? Oh, no. No, you didn't? Okay.
2: Speaking of Kevin Hills, so Kevin worked for Gary back in probably around the 80s. um, And Kevin really started the Bob character. Okay. Because Kevin is a very jovial kind of funny guy, and Gary would play the straight-laced guy. So that's where it kind of in its infancy started. Um, And then um, they just got the idea, let's hire a professional actor to be a character. No way. So they just threw out the name Bob. And so Kevin kind of got the wheels going, but then they, they've, they I mean, over the years, there's been multiple professional actors that they would hire to do it.
1: Did they get to work with the birds also? Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh-huh. It would be
2: very limited. So yeah. there would just be a, a, a couple birds that were pretty receptive to new people. Okay. Um, but they were most, I mean, Gary's had guys that are... Um, they came through the, the circus school down in Florida, so they were jugglers and performers, like professional clowns wow. that could do stuff. Um, we found guys from acting agencies. We went used to go down to... Shadow Box, which was down in Newport on the levee, it was like a sketch comedy. Okay. I think that's up in Dayton now. Is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we would just like in this usually in the winter we would go around looking for looking for talent to <laughs> see anybody who's willing to work for ten dollars an hour in the middle of the summer and a lot of starving actors or just like whatever whatever's out there sure
1: and then that'd be an extra special gig like where they're working with animals yeah. too. I guess mm-hmm. I should give a little background for those of you who have been to the zoo and seen our bird encounter Eddie plays the character of Bob well I shouldn't I mean you're a trainer he's amazing but also so impressive with Bob like I don't know how you do it so did you know that would be a part of your job then like no did you so, have to warm up to that or once
2: again I just have <laughs> had a kind of a an idea of just saying yes to opportunities yeah. and and so this once again we had a great well of course we just we had a great bob before me his name is ken freeman who's now he was in our education department and it worked out perfect because he back then was in charge of our outreach or our um, distance learning kind okay. of program and in the summer there were, you know schools are out so he had not, little to do so he was perfect as that bob role very charismatic really funny but um, there was a shift up in, in education, and he needed to do a different role during the summer. So midsummer, we lost our Bob, oh, no. and I just said, well, I'd, I'd seen it enough. I'd been there like four or five years. I'd seen how generally it went. I'm like, well, I'll give it a shot. We'll just see. And uh, and that was it, and that was you know a while ago now. I don't remember the exact year I started, but... I just had, you know, this, this is a time to just be goofy and silly and be somebody I'm, I'm really not. Yeah, but.
1: I was going to say, for anybody who doesn't know Eddie, he's actually pretty quiet and mm-hmm. reserved, and then you see him on stage, and it's hilarious every time, and I'm always, like, shocked to know how quiet you are when once I got to know you. And then also just so impressed, because not many, a lot of people get in the animal field because they aren't super, like, you know, outgoing or wanting to work with the public. It's changing these days, of course. It's a huge part of our job now but like it's hard to get someone who's willing to be silly in front of a crowd like I don't think I could do that so I'm just impressed and it's it's always funny
2: I think what the biggest thing is it's you can you can hide behind the character um I also like to to play music and you're you're hiding behind your instrument if you will like you're just you're letting the instrument do the work so it's a little I like I don't think I could do like Shakespeare theater and like a lot of memorized lines it's it's like, you're, you're just, you're the voice for the animals, you're the voice for the, the that. So it's, you know, I, I can kind of hide behind that and channel that energy for that purpose, not just, you know, so, okay. that's, so. that's how, I guess, internally how I deal with it. That makes do you ever sense. have to take time getting into character, or do you just turn it
0: on once you hit the stage?
2: Well, I think this year it might take me a while. I haven't done <laughs> I it, have it right? now in two years. Hopefully I remember how to do it. Uh, yeah, when Hi, does, when does the encounter
1: start again? <laughs>
2: so it's May 29th, the okay. Saturday of Memorial Day weekend.
1: Awesome! Anybody coming to the Zoom Memorial Day weekend? Check out yes. the or,
2: or maybe a little later in June. <laughs> and come up, back up and running <laughs> more fluidly. This, those first few are probably going to be rough. Yeah, for, you and for the, all of us, the no.
1: cheetah girls. I'm sure everyone's you know trying to get back in the swing of things. That would be hard, and mm-hmm. the animals too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How's that been going? What do you guys do to warm everyone up?
2: Well, so far, I mean, we've we've been getting the birds flying already on the warm days um and it's pretty remarkable what they remember and um so i'd say about 50 percent of the birds i mean i could go probably next week wow. it's just a matter of now the staff remembering we've got to work out the nuts and bolts of the logistics who can be where who releases what our seasonals just started this weekend okay so they've got to get used to the birds and and you know don't put your hand here he'll nip you and hold the crate like this so he's comfortable and and that kind of thing to release release birds, and you have to be here to catch a bird, and you don't want to be in his way when he's running backstage, and and that kind of just you know the the placing of everybody is where, and then we you know we got to come up with a whole new um, what we're saying we haven't really because we got to figure out where the pieces go together, and then okay what makes sense, what are the transitions because it's all going to be different from what we really? did two years ago, yeah.
1: Is that by choice or? Ad- I think it's
2: by choice necessity. Uh, we've got some different staff there now that want to put their own flair on it, okay. and uh, some different birds doing different things. So, you know, aside from a handful of birds that'll be doing the same thing they've done their whole life, uh, there's a lot of there'll be a lot of new stuff.
1: Cool, that'll yeah. be exciting. I, I think it'd be really cool to sit backstage and see what goes on back there when you it's, guys have birds coming in and out.
2: Yeah, it's it's a lot of chaos. I it's bet. Like, <laughs> it's it's you know that you wait. And then it's, you know, like, run around and then wait, and then you run around crazy and wait, so... It, it's... Eddie just described it as chaos, but it is just
0: amazing. If you haven't been to the encounter yet, to go and check it out, because there's so many different types of engaging opportunities during that encounter where you have birds flying over the audience, you have birds flying around the amphitheater, you have birds running across the stage... Um, it's, it's a little bit of everything, and it's a testament that his team has with the relationship with their animals, and I don't know if we can maybe go into this a little bit more, if maybe some of the behaviors that do happen on stage, and, and how, how do you get a bird to pick up a bottle and walk it over to a recycling bin and drop it in? Like, where does that start? Mm-hmm. And like, how, I
2: think, what's the process behind that? So, it's all um, taking very tiny little steps, and you... You present, you know, if you want them to do object work and pick up something, you put it in front of them. I mean, parrots probably innately just want to put, th- like, put things in their beak. That's how they investigate the world is with their beak. So you just, you know, try to uh, prompt them a little bit by putting it towards their beak or a lot of them. You also got to put, pick the right bird for the thing that you want them to do. Um, if a bird is scared of objects, you don't want to like, all right, this one is going to do this and force a round peg in a square hole. So you want to, you know, our birds, the the individuals that are more, you know, inclined to pick up stuff, you just give them objects. And then, you know, if they pick it up a little bit, then you also, the, the training, is You a big thing is the bridge, which is letting the animal know they did a good job. Because obviously you don't speak parrot and they don't speak English. Right. But they, they figure out pretty quick from early on. And our parrots, well, most of them are pretty old now, pretty old as in, from 15 to 30 years old. So, and they live a very long time. They, some of them could live into their fifties, fifties, sixties, seventies. Um, so they know what our bridge and our bridge is usually good. So for like dolphin trainers or sea lion trainers, you hear that high pitched whistle. That's the, that, and, Establishing that bridge is the key to shaping behavior because that's when the animal knows they did a good job, and then you you pair the bridge with a reward, whether it be for a dog, it doesn't have to be food; it can be um, a head scratch. You just figure out the key to training is also what's reinforcing to the animal. For Fiona, I'm sure it's any sort of food. Yes, (laughs) Um, because and you can probably feed her all day because she's you know very food motivated. Definitely, Um, but for your dog, it's your companionship Mm -hmm. and affection. For the parrots, it's um, their favorite treats or their favorite, you know, it's just like uh, training a kid with M&Ms or something. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to give them too many M&Ms because so, you want them also to eat their Brussels sprouts. So there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the, if you have a, a kid that loves to work for broccoli, then man, that's, that's, that's really great. <laughs> um, so your training sessions can be a lot longer. So anyway, you, you key it so they do the behavior you're looking for. You bridge them and then the animal knows... Following that is going to be a reward, whether it be social like a dog, a pat on the head, or with a parrot, it's going to be a peanut or maybe their pellet. Um, and then you, you just elongate that behavior. So if it's picking up the bottle, good. They pick up the, the bottle and, and move it a little bit, good. And then you get them the the idea of bringing it somewhere. So you introduce, um, maybe a, a colored square so that if they pick it up and put it on that square, then they know that's where they're aiming for. Then you move the square. And, you know, it's, this is over days. It's over sessions. So what the end result um, could be months in the process. <clears throat> and, and but other parrots, other birds, they pick it up real fast. And you're not, you, you got to <laughs> get on your, your horse and, and really let them. So you got to let them dictate the session. And um, so, in long story short, I mean, it can take, Weeks it can take. Uh, one session we have one macaw who. Uh, so a couple years ago, there's a macaw that climbs down a rope and climbs up a rope, um, and then right at the very last minute he got sick. There was some he got he had some sort of respiratory issue, so we we had to just focus on his medication and right. his medical condition. So we we pulled him out of the encounter, and in one session, uh, th- this green wing macaw, her name is Fiesta, learned his behavior in <laughs> one training session and, and basically like three tries so That's she amazing. is just like a sponge to absorb what you're trying to train and i'm sure it's people. fun for her too. oh yeah like, oh absolutely new Some to of do. Them, yeah and then just like the thing that you really important about training is that as if you are getting frustrated the bird or the animal is getting frustrated too so always important to, you know if you're trying to train your cat or your dog if you feel frustrated that the animal's not understanding, they're frustrated too mm-hmm. it's a It's a back and forth it's a two way communication like, definitely a big a big thing, especially with birds I think you know they're just these things with feathers, but they everything down to a cardinal they all have personalities. Um, so...
1: That's the best part about working with animals. Oh, yeah. Learning you, all those you, personalities. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and
2: yeah. they definitely have their favorite people and their people they're not... And that relationship <laughs> needs sure worked that makes it on. hard so. for you guys. Yeah.
1: Somebody calls out sick and you have to change the show because mm-hmm. that certain bird won't work with a certain exactly. person. Exactly.
2: Yep. yeah. yep. You gotta f- move on the fly and, okay, this bird has to be over here and m- mix things up and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, it, like, to your point, too, Sam, it's very relationship-driven. So, um, you go into new spaces with those birds and they rely on the relationship with you and like you know they wouldn't do that if they weren't weren't con or weren't confident in and you know like you're going to bring them to a safe place they're mm-hmm. more likely to to do things just like a, a dog that you know if you go to lots of fun places and you build that relationship with your dog then they'll go to things that wow how can your dog I mean there's so much going on here and your dog just looks to you for that comfort and that reassurance right. so it's the same thing with birds and
1: and they're super yeah. smart, so. yeah. but or most of them.
2: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, most of them. Yeah, <laughs> um, and we see that like with our one black vulture. Sometimes it takes years. Like uh, he came in as an imprint. Um, he, he fell out of a nest, and someone hand raised him illegally, uh-huh. and then he was confiscated, and then ma- made his way to us. And it's taken him. We hope he's going to do great this summer, but. Um, It's taken him now four years to get used to kind of just being in our situation, developing that relationship. And the wild card too this summer is the birds haven't seen a crowd in two years. Oh
1: yeah, that's a good point. So
2: I don't know what that's. we're just going to have to see. Will you
1: guys do an employee day where we can come watch? Mm -hmm. Okay, kind of. So basically the employees will be invited to watch their encounter and kind of give the birds you know, a sense of a crowd and also give the bird trainers a little bit of a of an audience but also forgiving audience we understand Mm -hmm. all of the things and that's the crazy part about the bird encounter is these birds can they could fly away if they want to is that is that something you're thinking about during this show often or is it like all the time all the time okay I didn't know if you ever just get over those (laughs) oh no you never get over it
2: it's you're always looking for trying to look through the eyes of the bird and you know, on windy days, like there's, we now have cutoffs of like, if it's too windy, we want to also set up the birds for success right. and ask them things that they're capable of. If we know it's super windy or, um, I, there's a myriad mm-hmm. of different things that we have to keep an eye out for that might startle, startle them. Um, a, a big thing too, that you think of the mind of a bird is anything overhead. So, you know, as we'd return back to normal and, you know, sporting events downtown might be more normal whenever the blimp is in town and if it's wandering over the zoo that oh. cuz the birds are used to planes they're used to helicopters okay. with our proximity to children's and the in the hospitals but planes with banners and plane and blimps they do not they don't know what those are those wow. are very scary
1: that's so interesting cuz they're yeah. somewhat similar but
2: yeah. yeah a big floating blimp or a banner behind some plane that's they definitely oh what the and, and as well as Natural things, like if a vulture or a hawk flies over, that changes their behavior, too. yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, so there's one bird that I I am just assuming this, I could be wrong, that you have a really special relationship with, and that's Sam the bald eagle. Is that a true statement?
2: I guess you could say that. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think it's the coolest, one of the neatest things I've ever seen. If um, you've ever been to a Reds game, we do have a bald eagle, Sam, who was a rescue, and... He can soar, but he can't fly. Correct? So yeah,
2: he's like a paper airplane. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he can fly down. And he just can't it. fly up.
1: So I'll let Eddie explain this. But basically, you get to see a bald eagle fly at the end of the national anthem at a Reds game. It's like brings tears to my eyes and goosebumps every time it happens. Me too. <laughs> good. Yeah, it better. Or you're like, I don't know how you, <laughs> I don't know how you couldn't have that happen, but. Um, yeah, tell us about him and your relationship and how you built that, and then a little bit just about the the flight process and how cool that is to go to, you know, a professional baseball stadium and have, be- you're standing on the pitcher's mound. Mm-hmm. Like, that's amazing.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, so Sam was, he's he's now a 21-year-old 20, eagle, and he was found injured on the side of a highway up in Michigan, the, the story that we were told. So he was, we found out about him. He was at Michigan State University. They have... An excellent veterinary school. then back then, back in the early 2000s, bald eagles weren't nearly as prevalent as they are today. Um, so Michigan, because it's surrounded by lakes and has lots of lakes, they were like they were a hotbed for uh, eagles. And so they dealt with a lot of injured bald eagles. And Sam came through to there eventually. He was found injured on the side of a highway by a trucker that saw him struggling. So he made his way to Michigan State, and his break was too severe. It was too close to, a, uh, with the ri- in, the, in a bird, the wrist joint, um, which is kind of the closest joint to the edge. It was too, the break was too close to there, and the tendon damage was permanent. So he couldn't, be, he couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together. Yeah. So um, he'd always have that partial, his wing, he can't fold it in all the way. So he'd never survive in the wild. But we got permission from Fish and Wildlife to free fly, or Gary did technically um, free fly bald eagles, uh, at, at the zoo and at a Reds game. So we went up to Michigan state and that was back then kind of like the place to go. They had just lots of injured bald eagles. So we, um, went to check the demeanor of all of them, try to find, cause a lot of injured wild bald eagles tend to be pretty nervous. Um, as, as a tendency with species, some birds do better around people than others. A lot of like small hawks, like coopers and Um, sharp-shinned hawks, accipiters, are, tend to be a little more nervous around people than bigger hawks, like red-tailed hawks are really popular in falconry because they, they tend to calm down pretty quickly. Bald eagles have a tendency to be kind of nervous around people. Um, but Sam came in as a pretty young, as just a brancher. He was probably only four or five months old, just learning how to fly. So he wasn't unlike an adult bird that has no relationship with people. He was kind of in, in between. So that what's makes him, what, what makes him pretty good is that he knows he's an eagle, but he's also, sometimes when you imprint, uh, so you, imprinting is when you raise birds from a very young age and basically they think that they're people because that's what they see. And birds grow very quickly. Sam was full grown after only three months, uh, and he's an eight-pound bird, which doesn't sound like much, but still a size of a bald eagle. It's yeah. still pretty impressive. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so he's, you know, he's, okay around people there's definitely his triggers he hates the sound of a carburetor like whether oh, really? it be a a cart a guy with a leaf blower a car that goes by he's very conscious of because we'll do um when things go back to normal we do morning programs for overnight adventures and we like to bring out sam but that's always the perfect time when someone's blowing the yes. grounds <laughs> with a leaf blower and it, it, it i mean if we need to find out where they are with leaf blowers we just walk out with sam and then they, <laughs> there they come so he doesn't like those too much. But um but he's pretty good around well, people. And so we walked up and you know we were looking at different eagles and he was really calm in his Mew. A Mew is just a, a holding area for a raptor, that's what it's they're called. Um so we brought him down and we had no idea what he could do. We had no idea if he would be able to fly or how much he could fly. And so that whole whole summer we just made very small approximations, developing that relationship. He was figuring out that You know, these people that were now around him all the time, that's where the food was coming from. Um, And then you just get him to come to the glove for food. He realizes the glove is also a good, positive thing. And then uh, coming over to the glove, then it's hopping to the glove, then it's short little flights from a a perch to the glove. And then you get him outside and see what, what he can do. And we figured out as long as he's elevated, he can go a little ways and the luxury we have at, at our setup is that we're in a bowl, so the edge of the seating, he naturally, just glide down. Um, and then, you know, we tried him at the ballpark, and we once again had, it was a big leap. From, yeah, no kidding. There's no, you know, no in-between. Um, so the first time we did it, um, so now there's a party deck from the, at the batter's eye. Because of his wing injury, unlike at, like, um, at Auburn when they fly the eagles they have a bald eagle and a golden eagle at Auburn University okay. um, those are usually fully flighted eagles there's um, the goldens I don't know where they they get them from but the balds are rehab birds but they have different they might have a foot something wrong with a foot or a beak you know there's some other reason they're unreleasable but they are fully flighted so they can correct themselves very easily if they get blown off course or make a mistake and oh there's where I'm supposed to go Sam can. If he makes a mistake and he goes in the wrong direction, he's... Phew, so we, we can't... We don't fly him over people because if he veers off, which he did once. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. So, uh, yeah, we they went on... Uh, Kevin and, and Gary went on the roof with Sam of the batter's eye back then before the party deck was just a roof. I'm sure we violated so many OSHA regulations because <laughs> Gary just uh, held kevin by basically the loop in his belt oh my and luckily kevin was a, a big guy he was like a powerlifting champ back when he was in high school so he could physically pull up the crate with Sam in it just hand over hand pulling it up with a rope oh, it was very my gosh. rickety back then <laughs> um, so we did it and we set up a little perch and the first time we did it i remember it was a drizzly day and he's trained his cue is a whistle so i just blow a whistle which is Common in falconry to use too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what Gary's idea was. So I just stood out there on the field. And Gary claims that he wanted me to catch him because I was the smallest guy in the team. So Sam would look more impressive landing on a little guy than, than them. But truthfully, I think Gary, um, he probably hate me if he ever heard this, but he, Gary tends to be kind of a, sometimes nervous about things. And I just, I don't know if he wanted to be on the field. I think maybe that was just maybe too much. I yeah. That's my, I don't know why he would put me out there and not him. So but. you're
1: the only one who's ever had Sam fl- or Gary was- went
2: down there a couple of times okay. for practice. But I've asked him and he's like, no, no, I don't want to do that. Wow. So, uh, but yeah, that first time Sam hopped up on the perch and he kind of looked around for a long, it seemed like forever. It was Drizzly and the, the Reds, our Reds representative at the time, who's not currently there, but he was just kind of looking at his watch like, well, what are we doing out here? This is dumb. And then Sam just looked down, figured it out and hopped off and, He's basically made the same trajectory every time. He just wow. needed that one time to figure out what to do. Um,
1: That's so impressive because I mean I know they have incredible eyesight, but he I uh-huh. mean there were so many places he could have oh, yeah. gone and he came to you. Yep, That's amazing. I, I'm and always, terrifying. oh uh-huh. my gosh,
2: I'm always amazed how he finds me because especially. When we fly him at seven o'clock, and the sun is oh, like he's staring straight into the oh, sun, Oh, yeah. and I'm on the I'm the field, and I'm the closest thing between him and once he comes out. But still, there's people behind me, there's people off to the side. I don't know, and he's staring right into the sun. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's just muscle memory. Like I go this way, mm-hmm. and eventually I find where the where he is. Me, him being me, um, <laughs> but there is one time um, he did veer off. And it was a businessman special, maybe like the second or third year we were doing it. And what we think is that there was a grounds guy that, because I always wear a black polo and, and khaki shorts, and there was a grounds guy that was dressed just like me, oh. standing over by the the uh, the tarp. And Sam was headed to him instead of me, and at the last minute realized he had made a mistake, but because of his injury, he tried to do a wing over and just landed in the stands. Luckily, there was nobody there. It was a businessman special in September. So,
1: so what, how are you feeling in that moment? And what did you do? Did oh, you run to I, him? I was, you... like, uh, I was like,
2: I was like Usain Bolt. I uh, ran over <laughs> there. And, <laughs> I, I probably could have tried out for the Olympics that day. I just <laughs> sprinted over there and hopped the fence. And he he just was looking like so looking he, around, like he wasn't what the... too stressed. Or, and he, landed, oh, I think okay. he was just like, well, where <laughs> am I? <laughs> These are great seats. Yeah, I'm in the diamond seats. So yeah, you get free food and drink. Right. <laughs> But since then we train, we changed some things, and um, and I mean, so far it's it's really neat how to watch him adjust to wind, and I mean, a couple of times he comes down and he you, I can tell he can't find me, and I keep blowing the whistle, and there's been some moments like, oh boy, do I need to start running towards him, and then oh yeah, he he finds it. Oh, then so cool. the last year we did it, we were very busy because we were doing it at FC too. Oh. I didn't... Um,
1: I think I knew that, but yeah. I didn't remember. When that. they
2: were at Nipper, there was a perfect setup there too, where he just launches and it's stands in the pitch. So he was very busy, um, which was good for him. So he built up a lot of strength. And one of his last flights that we've done, so uh, in 2019, he he's never done this. He tripped. He kind of stumbled as he came out of the of the crate, and he almost landed. And then at the last minute, I think he found me, and he he made it. And he was pumping hard because usually he uses all the momentum. It's like a roller coaster, King's Island, because he just goes straight down and then gets all that momentum. And then he can kind of navigate and glide around like a normal eagle for that 300 feet or so. But he needs that momentum. And then he gets ground effect. So with his wings, it kind of pushes him up.
1: Oh, yeah, Um, that makes sense.
2: Um, so that's, and he somehow figured that out. That's how I need to get, get down there.
1: How but. strong is the impact? Like when he lands on your arm, does it like make it, you want to like lean back it, or is it? Usually
2: he can, he, he, you know, he lands softly, but sometimes, especially with, when there's practice, he'll get a tailwind and he, he gets there faster than I think he realizes. <laughs> and then it's, it's, you know, it's not like catching a you know football, but he's definitely, he's not going to knock you over, but he's. How heavy is he? So he only weighs about seven pounds. Okay. So and he, it's, and it's the same as like, you know, landing on a branch. He doesn't want to land through the branch. That's
1: true. Yeah. So the
2: glove is just, and, you know, like I'm just basically a tree with some food on it. Okay. So he wants to land softly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, oh, the, I mean, it's exhilarating. And every time, I mean, it, if people a lot like, like, does it ever get old? It never gets old. You always find an excuse to get nervous. You're looking, once again, blimps. There's planes going around. You're yeah. like, did the Reds remember not to shoot off the fireworks? Because he would not handle that. Oh, well. it's crazy hat day. And yeah. <laughs> day. Oh yeah. And it, you know, it's we're always like, it's not Bark at the Park day, right? Because that would oh, not be well sure no. go well if there's a bunch of dogs around or making sure, like, oh, the visiting team is the Rockies and they're all wearing black. Oh no, oh, I better no, like yeah. make sure he doesn't go over there and see of guys in black jerseys. So. so much to
1: think about. Oh yeah
2: and will you be doing
1: it this summer
2: so not this summer unfortunately the the major league baseball they have the rule with covid that nobody non-essential people are not allowed on the field just for protection of the players and staff which i get Mm -hmm. so hopefully uh, but they we we are going to hope to just practice with them because i mean once we get too much out of the rotation i just worry like you know are we starting all over and he was doing so well um so uh I think we've we worked out if the Reds are on the road, we can get down there to practice okay. a few times this summer, just to make sure that he's, gets still remembers remembers that. So, and then hopefully next year we'll be back.
1: Great.
2: Awesome. Oh, is it quiz time? Is it quiz time? I guess it's quiz time.
0: <laughs> I prepped Eddie for this, um, but I will explain the rules again that I, I ask, our guests and Jenna to go head-to-head with a little quiz. It's a little competition. It's usually theming with what we're doing today. Um, I will, though, say that the listeners here have, if you've listened to Molly O'Neill's episode, I did a lot of bird trivia recently with that, um, and I thought that would just be way too easy for Eddie. So it would be, well, it'd be a home run uh, for that. So I do, this is a trivia contest, and usually I it's a this or that, but today we're going to be doing... The closest number, so like price
2: is right. Price is
0: right. But you can go I'm gonna let you go over on this. So it's not closest without it going over, it's just the closest number. Okay, (laughs) because I know that Jenna would do one (laughs) dollar. We're not letting her do that today. Um so this is just a general flight trivia question. And when I say flight, I mean airplanes. So (laughs) So So I'm guessing. So you're guessing. So how long do you think the shortest commercial flight is?
1: 11 minutes.
0: Closest, actually, let's go miles. Closest mileage. Oh. How long is it? Um, 30 miles. 30 miles? Okay, he's gonna say 30.
1: I'm trying to think of like a city to a city that I would, I don't know. I'll say 42.
0: 42. Well, the shortest flight in the world is established between the Orkney Islands, and oh. it is in Scotland, and it's 1.7 miles. Oh, my gosh. So with favorable winds, the flight often
2: lasts less than one minute.
1: Wow. What's so, the point? I, so, Do you have a better boat guess, or, like, way you, to
2: get there? You probably didn't realize this, but the Orkney Islands is where my name is from. So no way. if ah. you see it spelled, thank goodness there's a second N in there. <laughs> but uh, my... my Dad did some genealogy and traced us back to the Orkney Islands in northern Scotland. So if you ever find yourself in these very rough places up there, uh, my name is like Smith, apparently, No way. Up in okay. The okay. Have you been there? I have not yet. Okay. But. I know you're and my name's familiar. on, like, lots of gravestones,
0: apparently. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eddie has one point because he was a little bit closer. Now, how long do you think the longest nonstop flight is? And I'll give you an option here. Do you want the one the longest ever, or the, the currently the one that's an active flight route that's still going hmm. today?
1: Hmm. Uh, both.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. They're the they're fairly go. close.
1: Wait. So the longest. How many duration, miles? Duration or you miles? think
0: The not longest nonstop commercial flight is. Okay. So does in it... terms of hours, uh, let's do miles. Oh, miles! I, I can give me. you hours after that.
1: So there used to be one longer than what is currently happening? I
0: think it was a one-off flight from the, the research that I did, again, Wikipedia, um, that, it was a, <laughs> <laughs> that it was just kind of a, a one thing to get people from point A to point B because okay. of events that were happening.
1: I don't know miles. Uh, I don't either. I don't even know what, from here to California mileage. What is that, like 3,000? Forty-eight hundred. <laughs> is there a song I
0: don't know. about that? I don't we know. can do. I, I've got hours too. If you want hours, want we can want Okay, let's do hours. Let's do hours. Okay. okay. I How say long?
1: twenty-three.
0: Twenty-three. I say thirty. Thirty. Okay, so the longest active flight right now is from New York City to Singapore Airport, and that's about eighteen hours and five minutes to eighteen oh. hours and forty minutes, oh, non- really non-stop.
1: That's it. Okay. Yes, thirty
2: hours. You probably fly around the world. <laughs> yeah, <it>? yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're going around twice at that point. And that's 9,500 miles, so 9,537 miles. Yeah, I could not have guessed that. There was one from Tahiti to Paris one time, and that was 9,765. And that was in April 19th of 2020. So mm. oh. that actually might have been because of COVID-related, and they yeah. need to get people back. So,
1: mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so that, that was a one-off. But the New York one's still active. And the New York one, for some reason, is a longer flight, than the Tahiti one was. The Tahiti one was only 16 hours and 20 minutes, even though they were traveling a longer distance. I'm trying to remember Taylor. the longest flight yep. I've
1: been. I guess they usually break it up. Because you've been to Australia. What was the, your longest flight?
2: It was like 12, okay, LAX yeah. to mm-hmm. Sydney. Think, but LAX, to they also have direct ones to Seoul, and that's longer, I'm pretty sure. I feel like maybe. To,
1: one of my flights, either Africa or, or Indonesia was at least 13 hours. Yeah. but.
0: I've, yeah, interesting. Okay. I
1: thought it'd be longer.
0: It's one to one. Okay, so did I get? Did I, I think I, you got that. I okay. Think you yeah. said it <laughs> okay. Now, how many passengers do you think the largest Airbus A3, A three A three eighty eight hundred can hold? <laughs> it's dubbed the super jumbo. Five hundred. Okay. Um. Uh, hmm. a, a
1: thousand.
0: A thousand. It's 525 passengers. Wow. That's what it accommodates currently, but apparently the max seating capacity for that is 853. Whoa. So it's probably (laughs) if you take all the first-class pods out and you were to just put more seats in there as well. But 525, yeah. Well, that leads into our next question. So, Eddie, you can tie it up. So this is our last question. (laughs) To the closest dollar amount, what do you think the most expensive flight is currently?
1: Are they all really cheap right now? <laughs> well, I'm gonna say like,
0: the average cost of it because I'm sure, like, depending on the demand, it fluctuates. But this is, so is this boring. coach
2: or first class? This is first class. Oh, oh okay. gosh. Okay.
0: And I'll give you. I'll give you the flight route too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's New York to Abu Dhabi. Oh, oh gosh.
1: Also, I like this quiz because it's kind of fair.
0: For <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us are experts. Oh in no. This. Yeah. No, it holds up well. We usually, usually tying or winning. <laughs>
1: guessing
0: 25,000 <laughs> 25,000 25,
2: okay mm, 40
0: 40 eddie's closer 64,000 dollars <gasps> it's dubbed the residence or the penthouse in the sky what? by I, I, i'm gonna butcher the name it's ed airways residence okay. so um it is the price ticket includes 125 square foot cabin with what? it's a uh, three rooms Offers the same luxuries as a five-star hotel. You get a VIP limo to drop you off, VIP travel concierge, and a personal chef that'll make you anything, even oh if it's not gosh. on the menu. So, you get luxury robes, a 32-flat-inch TV. I'm, I'm pretty can sure you can get those for there? under $300. But... That rich that you can <laughs> you
1: can fly for $64,000. You can mm. buy a house with that. You like, could. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Not now, but probably. Okay. I liked that quiz. Okay, so it's a
0: tie. You you both have your flight (laughs) polished on stat right there.
1: Before we um, let Eddie go, though, we do have to talk about one more thing. It's May, so it's zoo babies, and you are raising one of the newest, cutest babies at the zoo. Will you tell us about baby Ori?
2: Yes. Ori is, uh, 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 let's see, he's 53 days old as of today. Uh, a milky eagle owl, or also known as a varro eagle owl. They're the largest uh, owls from Africa. And, yeah, he's, it's, the bird show has never raised anything from this young. We've, you know, hand-raised a lot of falcons and hawks and parrots over the years, but usually they come to us. It's called hard-pinned, so the feathers are already coming in. And we got Ori as an egg from Zoo Atlanta. Um, this all was the brainchild of actually Dustin Longstreet, who is one of our full-time employees that went down to a conference and, um, as you should do at a conference, you're social and you talk to people. And he had worked with one when he worked for natural encounters in Florida. And he said, they're great owls. We should get one as an ambassador. And as luck would have it, he, he became friends with one that worked, uh, with a breeding pair in a zoo Atlanta. Then they have like the only... They're the only breeding pair in the country wow. as of right now. Um, there's another pair set up for breeding, but they haven't bred. And it's a very old, they're, and these owls are, were hatched in the 90s, so they're getting older. So even though it was the pandemic and everything, we wanted to hop on the opportunity to raise a, a baby owl. So um, I drove down to Atlanta and picked up Ori as an egg uh, <laughs> and then drove him back. And then the birdhouse, of course, who has a long history of raising chicks and and hatching out chicks. We don't. And they, so we gave it to them to put in their incubator, and um, Cody over there helped him hatch out, and they looked after him for the first couple of days to make sure everything looked okay, and then gave him to us, and then he's been growing like a weed ever since.
1: Do you remember how much he weighed at that point, at that point, and how much he weighs now?
2: Um, I think when we got him, he was in maybe the 50 gram. We weigh everything in grams, so so little. So, <laughs> so it, yeah. Little. <laughs> he, You know, the egg was a little bit bigger than a chicken egg because I went down with, like, an, a chicken egg cart, a carton to put the egg in because, like, if it's good enough for chicken eggs, it should be good enough for an owl egg. <laughs> But he was too big for it, so I had to, like, kind of finagle him in there. Um, and then now he weighs, or it, we don't know this uh, if it's a male or female yet, or he weighs around 1,300 grams, so that's... Um,
1: Almost two.
2: It's a little over two pounds. It's like between two and three pounds. Oh
1: yeah, because it's like what a little it's, under five hundred grams yeah. is a pound. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. So he's a little under, and eventually we so said we don't know if it's a male or female. They get to three and a half to seven pounds. So okay. Three and a half to six and a half pounds.
1: Are females larger?
2: Females are larger, hmm. as is typical of most raptors. But yeah, he, he really, he's really he's in our it, it is in our <laughs> office. Um, we actually play videos for him. Carrie Anne uh, likes to play Disney movies. I like to play like on YouTube. You can find just like nature stuff, like uh-huh. birds chirping for three hours or ocean. He let like put on ocean stuff, and he he just sits there and watches it. <laughs> it's on uh, vacation, yeah. Uh-huh. He That's thinks amazing. he's a fish now. He
1: <laughs> what do you guys hope he will do in the encounter? Do you have any? Oh yeah, on?
2: eventually we we hope that Ori will fly. Oh okay. In um, Ori, we we actually it's fun how we came about the name because we had because it was in March when or he hatched, so we had, uh, in honor of March Madness, we had a bracket of 16 names. We came up with some, Birdhouse came up with some, and then we just sat down and said, what's a cooler name? What name can you say thousands of times? What name can you not mispronounce and spell easily? Uh, And then we just, and uh, actually our um,
1: that's such a good point, Emily. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so glad Fiona has
2: an easy uh-huh. name. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no. So Ori actually came from a video game. I, for all those gamers out there, one of our um, employees, Emily, she's a big gamer, and there's this video game that has lots of owls in it. Oh,
1: okay. Um,
2: and it's uh, it's called Ori, and we thought, oh, that's a that's a fun name. Like, it, and it just sticks. You just look at them and like, what you just. That's uh, that's how the a very unscientific way of how Bird Show names <laughs> birds is like what just look at him like can I say this name thousands of times to kids and audiences and
1: I think that's smart. Uh, that's you know, a good right. way to do Ori. it.
2: Ori rolls off the tongue, it's easy to spell, can't be mistaken much for anything else, so.
1: Is there any chance of visitors seeing him like after the shows or so anything like that? So soon
2: um so Ori still has his blood feathers coming in. So that's a very fragile time for those feathers, feathers when they grow there's blood in them. And because he's a baby bird, they're all growing in at the same time. Now, in subsequent years, they'll come in different times. The other feathers protect him, It's not as crucial. But right now, they're all at the same stage, all those wing feathers, tail feathers. So we try to keep him pretty protected right now. Um, but in probably about a week or so, we, we want to get him out used to seeing people, whether it be, you know, for quick little meet and greets, not not posted just like, Hey, we've got some time, it's mm-hmm. it's sunny out, it's important you get sun every day. When it's sunny, not raining all day. Right. Um, so we want like little pop up things either at the burden counter or maybe we go up as members come in and after the pigs roll out the carpet, he's over on a table real quick. And we're also in this sweet spot of once his feathers grow in and he hasn't figured out how to fly yet. (laughs) So that's going to be a very narrow window because man, they grow fast. Right. Um, And to answer your question, which I didn't before, eventually we want him flying in the bird encounter, but for the first year, because they're, he's still developing, it'll be mostly meet and greets probably after the encounter. Um, Just trying to expose him to as much as possible for owls. It's, um, very important that you imprint them very, very heavily to okay. make sure that they're calm around people. Unlike um, for all different raptor species, there's different trains of thought of how much you want to imprint them or some maybe not at all um, because they can sometimes be dangerous. So if you have like a heavy imprinted golden eagle that's not afraid of people, that could be kind of dangerous. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but for an owl, for whatever, I mean, I haven't, I'm not the one who figured all this out. People a lot smarter than me have. But <laughs> if heavy imprinted owls do much better... In, in, as ambassador ambassador birds so okay. hopefully by next year or he's comfortable around people and we'll start flying him in the encounter next year that'll be
0: awesome yeah well Jenna do you have a uh, question that you want to ask? yes
1: Eddie, you told us so much. We've talked yes, about a lot sorry. of the birds. I haven't
2: t- talked to people about birds in so long. It's when everybody asks yeah. me a question, I'm like, I've had two years of just <laughs> pent up. Like, doing no school <laughs> programs, no bird encounters. I just want to talk to people oh about birds. Gosh. And Eunice, my wife, is probably tired of th- <laughs> thinking of hearing about birds.
1: This is a whole other thing I probably shouldn't bring up. But I think it'd be so hard on days you're having a bad day and you have to go out there or go to a school and, like, you know, Put on your happy face. I mean, is that hard or... It is hard, yeah. You have to
2: compartmentalize. And, you know, if you know, like, a bird's sick or a bird has passed away or even, like, personal things that are going on with your staff or whatever. You can't, you know, that's... Yeah, you're tired. (laughs) I mean... Back in the day when we were more social, like, you know, go to a Reds game or go to a concert and work the next day. And you're like, oh, man, really dragging the day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> gotta, gotta bring you got to p- put on that show face.
1: Uh, but, okay, no, that wasn't my question, okay. but I think that would be a tough part of your job. Um, what can I do? What can people listening do to mm-hmm. be better stewards of the earth. What
2: is your advice? So one of my biggest concerns working with ambassador parrots is that people get the wrong idea. And I've been struggling with how to convey to folks that these are not good pets because the great thing, like Sam brought up, like they do really great things, but that's a lot of, that's hundreds of hours of relationship building. And then there's the whole other side of husbandry and keeping those birds happy when you're not doing programs. And it's a full-time job for four staff members to to keep just a small handful of parrots happy every day and sometimes we miss the mark and are struggling with birds their parrots are a constant struggle because they're so smart to try to keep them happy. So my my biggest takeaway is to think twice before you you know you see parrots at the zoo and think I want one as a pet. I would never have a parrot as a pet. Right, they're and loud love and I love them. <laughs> I love coming to work. I, I there's a couple parrots that um they're really dear to my heart. Um, but, and maybe if I had to adopt them, I would, but, um, that's only because I have a special relationship with them. Like, I, you know, people see them and we're doing cruel, cool stuff with them. We're trying to educate about either, you know, rainforest habitats or how intelligent birds are. They're not just, you know, these silly things that fly around and have feathers and, um, but think twice, three times, five times before you get a parrot as a pet. Have something simple like a dog or a cat from a shelter mm-hmm. before you get a parrot because they're so different from anything else that you could possibly get. So many times, um, parrots have to be rehomed. People don't realize the how loud they are, how messy they are.
1: They may outlive their owners. They right? outlive
2: their owners. Like when people start to have time to take care of a parrot, they're retired, and parrots live if you get a little one 20 30 years if you get a macaw 50 70 years they outlive you and siblings don't want to take care of their parrots their pet their parents parrots right. um and also parrots they develop very close That's relationships gonna, yeah with their owners and it's it's sometimes you know the whole family's excited about you know, little Polly the parrot, but the parrot only likes one person and it's totally random. It's not the person who chose to want (laughs) the parrot. It's, you know, yeah. And parrots are insanely jealous. That's how the flock works is that they pair off in the flock and there's little squabbles all the time in the flock. And then your family is the flock and it's, you know, that, that parrot loves the one person, everybody else, it's a jealousy thing. And, you know, don't get near my person. Um, So, and and then, you know, that happens with, uh, you know, an older, older people that have the parrot, and then someone passes away, and then it's, I don't, I can't take care of this parrot anymore, or the family realizes, like, you know, our kids went to college, this was their idea, we don't want this loud thing anymore, we want to go vacation now, and we have this loud screaming parrot in our house all the time, And, and parrot rescues are overrun with parrots, they don't, you know, then parrots that have either issues or they're owners just can't take care of them anymore so yeah think long and hard because we you know in the zoo field we care about individuals a lot that's our job right and so i hate to see in these individual birds that are so smart and have so much potential and they just they you know people label them because you know they're, they're loud they're bitey they're this they're that um there's a reason that they became that way they shouldn't be labeled like that and it's just you know they're they're not they're terrible they're not good pets they're they're the right pet for very small amount and people that do know what they're doing they make great pet owners parrot mm-hmm. pet owners but it's those those people that they're a chosen few they're very skilled at what they do and for the most part I mean parrot rescues wouldn't be overrun if they're you know and it's for so many reasons too like historically parrots you know used to come out of the wild. Citizens are the most threatened group of of birds in the world now. Not just because of, of also habitat destruction. Most of them come from tropical areas. Um, so, an, an organization you can support is the World Parrot Trust. They're great for not only doing research on wild parrots and their populations and, and doing science based conservation, but also there's a tab on their website how do, you can help your own parrot oh, perfect. if you want to do better by your parrot. There's resources like the World Parrot Trust that, that help you to train. Anybody can be a trainer. It's not, right. I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm no, you know, worldly, it's just reading behavior, being passionate about your 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 animal, and uh, anybody can, can see the information they present and, and do good by their bird.
1: That's, yeah, that's great advice. I guess, I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but if you really, really, really want a parrot, and you've thought it through, and you think you have the time and the money and the energy and the ears <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to handle a parrot look into a rescue first because yep. there are plenty of them that would need a home.
2: Yep. Just like with any pet, there's plenty of right. rescues out there that of, of animals needing homes that, that and, and sometimes, um, you know, a parrot that came from a, a different household, that hard reset is what they need. Something totally, a totally different antecedents, totally different framework, new people, Uh, that helps them break, break, whatever, just like people, you know, um, athletes do it all the time where they're struggling in a certain environment. They get traded to a new city and thrive. People like looking to either start a new life, go out West to Phoenix and and reinvent themselves. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with a parrot. they they're stuck in like the same home or there's this stressful, um, uh, sanctuary situation or not sanctuary, but, uh, parrot rescue mm-hmm. situation with all these other parrots with issues they go to a new have a new fresh new start and it could really be kind of rehabilitating for them so
1: definitely yeah well great yeah. thank you so much yeah well, thank so you fun yeah, yeah. To let me
2: talk to people about birds yeah of course
1: <laughs> thanks for coming and yeah we hope that everyone um gets to you know view visit the zoo and see the bird encounter that would be um my advice, if you come to the Cincinnati Zoo after May 29th.
2: Starting May 29th. Starting but May if you want to come later in the summer, that'd be fine. Yep, yep. And so,
0: after May 29th, come May 29th. Check it oh, yeah. out. <laughs> you know, it's like, see how it evolves about the... <laughs> yeah. I know
2: what a lot of employees like to do is they go to the first one, and they go to the last yes. one and see how much more of an oiled machine it is by the time we've done 150. Right. And,
1: so
0: on. and when you come to look for it, for it, when you're at the zoo, it's called the Emeritas Wings of Wonder Bird Encounter. So come check that out. Check it out. It's uh, done a few times, I believe,
2: right? So it's, the day. it's Fridays through Tuesdays, 1 and 3 o'clock. So where you can come and see lots of different encounters. The barnyard is earlier in the day. The cheetah runs are earlier in the day. And then you, so they're really spaced out well on the weekends. So you can catch pretty much, catch all the encounters, all three on your visit on certain days, but not every day. But yeah, just check the website to make sure you plan it out. And, uh, and it would be great to see all faces again in the States. Yes, yep.
1: definitely. Great.
2: Well, Eddie, it's been a hoot.
0: Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to stop there <laughs> I was saving that for the whole episode I, I, I wasn't um, But Eddie thanks again for coming and talking yeah. to us It's been awesome to hear about your journey The Emeritus Wings of Wonder encounter that we host And then uh, seeing the bald eagle Ori, yeah. everything in between So a uh, been a fantastic episode So, Thanks for being with us Yeah thank you, my pleasure
1: Thanks, I'm Jenna
0: And I'm Sam And this is Cincinnati Zoo Tales